Hi, welcome back to Ask an Addiction Specialist. I'm Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm very glad to be with you this afternoon. In our previous uh, uh, podcast, we discussed uh, a couple of different things. And let me just review that and recommend that you uh, access our archives online to, uh, to view that if you didn't get a chance to, to, to be present when I was presenting. Uh, the topic was practicing self-observation. And specifically what we were doing was applying some of the uh, techniques of insight meditation, which is one specific kind of subtype of mindfulness. And we applied it to being able to step back from our experience and to be able to observe it uh, more objectively and, and uh, actually create kind of a space of non-attachment to our thoughts and feelings and uh, that it's a skill that we can cultivate like most any skill. So we practiced that together, if you recall, if you were here. And we had a special little bonus uh, topic that we discussed as well. We looked at New Year's resolutions, uh, specifically I, I call them New, New Year's resolutions that matter. And I'll come back to that at the end of today's podcast. Uh, but uh, I, I, I recommend that previous podcast to you, as well as the whole fund. My co-producers, Austin Armstrong and Franz Salvatierra, are here in the studio today with me. And they've helped to organize all of our previous podcasts. This is actually the 15th of my podcast as part of this Ask an Addiction Specialist series. And we covered a lot of topics, and I recommend you fully to uh, go to the archives. They've been indexed now in such a way that they're easy to get to. So um, you're welcome to find those online through the uh, Facebook group, through uh, Beginnings uh, Treatment Centers, and also through YouTube. So those are all available for you for free. So I recommend you to those. Uh, today we're going to uh, shift a bit, and I, I kind of uh, touched on this uh, briefly in our in our last meeting. We're going to be talking today's topic. We're going to be talk, talking about shame, men, and recovery. And let me say a word about that. And even though men is in the topic, uh, you don't need to be a man to get value. I think out of today's conversation. In fact, this is part of at least a two-part series is that uh, I'll be speaking about male psychology, masculine psychology, and uh, for any of us that are in relationships to men, including women, uh, there may be value in this presentation as well for you. And while I'm on that topic, even though the, uh, the title is Men, Shame, and Recovery, uh, uh, this isn't meant for just those who are in recovery. So if you're in relationship to somebody who's in recovery from addiction to substance, this will be relevant to you. And you'll also know from previous podcasts that I have a more expansive view of both addiction and recovery. In fact, recently I was in conversation with someone where they asked me about addiction. And I talked then with, with this individual, as I have in the past here, that I find it useful to look at addiction from multiple perspectives. My training in clinical psychology taught me to look at addiction from a very diagnostic perspective where we, we use psychiatric nomenclature and divisions uh, in fine detail between different kinds of categories of addiction. And I think that that's useful, especially for communicating between professionals. But I like also, and I think I prefer increasingly, to look at addiction in its etymological sense with its roots in the Latin term addictus, which is simply the term for slave. And so I, I like to look at, from at least from an inside perspective, look at addiction as anything that enslaves us. And I spoke about this with this individual who was inquiring. 
he was wanting, he was asking specifically about making a distinction between addiction to a certain substance and abuse of that substance. And I said, uh, that's a distinction that's made in, in psychological and psychiatric diagnoses for sure. But again, in the spirit of a broader definition of addiction, I prefer to talk about um, uh, abuse and addiction under the umbrella of, in, of this idea of enslavement or addictus in its Latin root. I feel the same thing about recovery. I think if we can adapt uh, to a broader definition of addiction, that we can, we can apply that also to recovery. Um, a number of years ago, my wife and I led a group out of our own home um, for uh, a good year or two, and we called the group Addiction, excuse me, Recovery for Everyone. The idea was that we're all addicted to, to something, and if it's not substance, about 25% of Americans right now are addicted to drugs, and, 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 and including the drugs, I include alcohol as a drug, and also include nicotine as a drug. That's 25% of adult Americans are, are addicted to substance. And in our, uh, another recent study, 90% of Americans endorsed uh, in, a, in a questionnaire that they, that they had at least one behavioral addiction that they were struggling with um, at the time of the, of the survey. And the behavioral addictions, sometimes they're called process addictions, include all the other kinds of things that we're addicted to outside specifically of substances. And this, this includes uh, eating addictions, uh, includes uh, spending, buying, shopping-related addictions, uh, certainly includes gambling, includes all of the sex, uh, sexual addictions, including addiction to pornography, also includes uh, addiction to work, workaholism. If we expand the notion of addiction uh, to embrace anything that we're enslaved to in this form, that we're compelled to do something that is not working for us in our relationships, not working for us in our work, etc., uh, then we can also expand the, the uh, companion notion of recovery to include all of us, hence recovery for everyone. So when I talk today about shame, men, and recovery, I'm talking about men and our relationships to men. I am a man, and I'll be speaking from the perspective of being male, but we're all in relationship to men, whether we're male, uh, gender-wise or not, and I hope that there'll be value of expanding the presentation to be inclusive, as well as our conversation about recovery to not relegate it to just specifically substance addiction. The subtitle will give you an idea of where we'll be going today. The subtitle of our presentation today is Aiming Toward a Healing Dialogue. I'll say a word about this now, and then I'll go into more depth uh, uh, as we move through the presentation. Uh, because there's so much up in the media right now and up uh, in terms of momentum nationally and internationally, for that matter, of addressing the limitations and the failures of men, particularly in their relationships to women, I find great value in that, and I really support this. Um, and, and you'll see as I, as I share today and be sharing some other resources today, I'm very interested, especially operating as a recovery coach, as a clinician, to begin to extend this, uh, this dialogue into what can we do to begin to heal 
what's happened to, to women historically, and also what can we do to uh, further the work that's being done with men to help heal and provide for wholeness in men, where some of the abuses that are uh, uh, on the front page of, of uh, the newspapers every day now, uh, where these abuses have occurred, what can we do to begin not only to increase compassion for women, but also provide uh, 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 a pathway to healing for men. And so we'll be speaking into this t today uh, as we address the topic of shame. Um, in the spirit of, of wanting to invite a healing dialogue uh, in all of these conversations that follow, I want to uh, remind you that you're very welcome to uh, submit questions uh, here today as you're viewing this. Uh, Austin uh, Armstrong is moderating uh, those questions, and he'll bring those questions to my attention as we go through, and I will do my best to address your questions in real time. So um, I'm sincere in inviting you, and I'll check in with Austin from time to time, or he'll check in with me uh, to field your questions. So please feel free to ask a question as it comes up. So today's topic is shame, men, and recovery. Let me introduce this topic by giving you a little bit of backdrop. For the past two years, I've been leading a men's uh, 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 a shame group, a weekly uh, group that meets um, uh, solely with men here in a local treatment center, Beginnings Treatment Center. Uh, I noticed this week that, that uh, on LinkedIn, my two-year anniversary came up automatically because it was noted when I began there. <laughs> Austin gives me a thumbs up. I've had a number of people from beginnings and other friends and acquaintances through LinkedIn who've reached out to me to congratulate me. And so LinkedIn even even uh, uh, reminded reminds me that I've been at this for two years now. It's been a quick two years in many ways and a very fulfilling two years. And I learned a great deal from this work with, with uh, these young men, primarily young men, uh, in these groups, and I and I want to share some of the gleanings of that uh, today in this conversation in the next couple of weeks. One of the first things that I came to in this group was that calling it a shame group was a bit of a misnomer and also kind of demoralizing. And so over time, we invented uh, organically in the group another title for the group, and we, we've come to call it the unshaming group. I'm just coming from that group today, and I'll say more about that. Uh, today's experience as we flesh out some of the material later today. But I, I did introduce the group today. We always have new members uh, as they come through the programs. I introduced the group as our unshaming group. And the focus of this group has been a positive focus. And I think that's why it's helpful to move from talking about a shame group to talking about an unshaming group. The, the, the goal is to begin to practice and develop uh, new skills. Most of us didn't learn these in school. Most, many of us didn't learn these in our families of origin. And these skills are specific to self-compassion. So another way of looking at the opposite of shame, if you want to, or um, uh, the antidote to shame, would be to speak about self-compassion. I'll be talking more about definitions in a few minutes, including about shame, so hang on for that, okay? But for right now, just to suggest that these unshaming groups have really been focused uh, on learning the skills of self-compassion. It's gotten more specific, and uh, one of the most fruitful, uh, 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 I think, products of, of these two years has been working with these men every week and beginning to develop exercises that could help build these new muscles, is what I call them, of self-compassion. Specifically, learning how to forgive ourselves. 
and that to uh, to eradicate shame, to heal shame, uh, requires a self-forgiveness that's a full-bodied self-forgiveness. And as we flesh this out later even today, this is what we talked about in the group I just came from, is that we make some helpful distinctions, for example, between guilt and shame, so that our goal is to reduce or minimize the impact of shame, but not at all to eliminate guilt. And that distinction is a critical distinction. I'll be sharing that more in a few minutes. But in that spirit, then, when I talk about self-forgiveness, it's not a cheap forgiveness or a simple forgiveness. Uh, our working with this material uh, has given me an opportunity to practice, again, in real time with these groups of men uh, at the treatment center, to practice exercises that I learned, first of all, in the context of refuge recovery. Refuge recovery is now an international organization, uh, focuses on recovery specifically by integrating mindfulness meditation from, from the Eastern traditions, along with um, uh, uh, much that is very parallel to my experience within the conventional 12-step tradition. And so it's a bit like 12-step tradition meets mindfulness. That's probably too simple, but that give, gives you kind of a feel for it. And so some mindfulness uh, exercises that I learned, first of all, in refuge recovery, I've had a chance to practice and bring to um, the beginnings treatment centers, bring, bring to our, our men's uh, uh, unshaming groups. That has led to just this past uh, month, just in, in December, the release of a new CD uh, that uh, I'm really proud of and, and pleased that there's been a lot of interest uh, early on. In fact, I just got a phone call on the way here today from a therapist, a dear friend of mine who I've known for over 30 years, who uh, bought the CD herself and is sharing it now uh, in, in the work that she's doing it. She mentioned specifically sharing it with couples that she's working with where the couple can practice this together, which I really appreciate uh, the creative kind of uh, expanding upon the initial material. That initial material was published in a CD package called The Freedom of Forgiveness. And if you have interest in delving more deeply into that or just finding out more about what, what's involved in that CD, it's the meditations that I've used with beginnings. It's what I've used with the men. And we've really uh, refined that so that by the time I finally uh, uh, recorded this, just this last fall before its release, it's been honed uh, kind of in the smithy of the soul and the work with, with these men in recovery. And I've learned so much from them and that the product has improved as a, as a function of that. And so if you have interest to look more into this, I highly recommend it. It'll give you an example of, of uh, the specific work that I'm doing uh, weekly in the men's unshaming group. You can find that, uh, uh, more information about that at my website. The website's listed here. It's www.drbobweathers.com and you can find it on the landing page. The, the home page right there will be the information about it. And if you want to purchase a copy, you're welcome to do that. There's a second podcast that I do weekly, and I want to mention it because it pertains to where we're going to be going today, specifically in regards to the contribution of, of one individual in particular. The individual I'll be uh, uh, fleshing out some of his material today, his name is Dr. Robert Augustus Masters, and I met him for the first time in a podcast that I co-host weekly. This particular podcast is very much complimentary to Ask an Addiction Specialist. 
Uh, I say co-host because I have two co-hosts, dear friends of mine, John Dupuy and Doug Prater. Our podcast is called The Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast. It's also available. You can go to Facebook and find out more about it. You can actually join the, uh, there's a Facebook group that discusses the the podcast. The podcasts are also available uh, on YouTube. You can look up Journey of Integral Recovery Podcasts. They're all available on on YouTube. You can also find them at my website. So there's multiple um, multiple ways of, of getting to this material. The particular podcast I'm thinking of was this past fall, and this was was uh, by Dr. Masters addressing shadow work. <clears throat> The subtitle of his presentation was Turning Toward Our Pain. And what uh, uh, Robert, what Dr. Masters discussed in his presentation, um, he's written a book about this topic. He's very knowledgeable. And and he, he starts by referencing the work of the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, who was the prized pupil of the founder of modern psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, his prized pupil Carl Jung. Uh, did the most work in in providing language for discussing what is the shadow. And in a nutshell, the shadow is the part of me, the part of you that we don't want to show to one another. Jung put it this way, we want to show our, our, our persona to one another. Persona is simply the Latin term for mask. I want you to see the good parts of myself and the parts of myself that I am ashamed of, I'll hide from you and that represents my shadow. Now, even though it's hidden from you, doesn't mean it goes away and in fact, the manifestations of the shadow oftentimes are hard to read because they're indirect. I have a therapist I've worked for for years who's a Jungian analyst who talks about it this way. We can either deal with the shadow material coming in through the front door or it will come in sideways or through the back door. And when it comes in through the back door, that is less consciously, it will oftentimes manifest as uh, either somatic symptoms, physical symptoms of, um, of distress such as depression, anxiety, phobias, compulsions, addiction, uh, 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 and, and, and also manifest as uh, uh, psychological symptoms, for example, in relationships. One of the ways that goes is that what I don't own in terms of my shadow, I'm much more vulnerable to projecting it onto somebody, typically somebody close in my life. And so uh, a lot of the work of shadow is withdrawing the projection. I always have this image of a fishing line, withdrawing the projection as if you're pulling in a fish to begin to to uh, reintegrate what it is that's been split off and projected onto others. So uh, shadow work is essential and Dr. Masters has done a lot of work and I recommend you to that podcast because it's so uh, thorough and he does such a good job. It was in that conversation that I became acquainted with Robert's other work, including a more recent book of his. And this book is specifically dealing with men's issues. The title of this book is To Be a Man. And you can find this, you can look it up on Amazon or online and find out more about it. The subtitle of his book is A Guide to True Masculine Power. And I believe that this book is extremely timely uh, during, this, during this day and age where, where there's so much coming to light about abuses and uh, distortions of men in terms of how they carry their power more consciously. And I want to add more compassionately. And I think that Dr. Master's treatment of, for example, he does an incredible um, exposition of a continuum that starts with anger, which when held consciously and processed can be really useful and uh, uh, adds a lot to, to, uh, uh, to relationships and healing, for example, being honest with our anger. He looks at it on a continuum from anger 
which moves into aggression, which when taken to an extreme becomes violent. And this is really what we're looking at nowadays in the news where there have been violations of others' boundaries, particularly women's boundaries, by men who don't have a conscious relationship to their shadow, have not done the work to uh, integrate that, and, and it ends up festering. And so, for example, around anger, if it's anger towards people generally or anger towards women specifically, it manifests as aggression and violation. And so it's tremendous need, a need, a need of healing. And I think that Robert does an incredible job of providing some guidelines for what that healing might look like. In his book, Robert says this. He says, the most powerful emotional roadblock for men is shame. If you sit with that for a second, that's a very powerful assertion. The most powerful emotional roadblock is shame. And, and he's talking about this specific to men. So what, what about this is specific to men? Because I've been leading these groups for two years every week with men, I've learned a lot about shame in men. I, I certainly have learned a lot about my own shame in and around my own recovery. But it's been really helpful to have a forum with uh, a dozen men every week uh, who are all highly motivated to get to the bottom of this because as we talked about in today's group, uh, the number one trigger for relapse for most individuals is stress. The number one stressor for most of us is shame. It's the high, highest, most stressful emotion. And for men, there's a double whammy here as I talked about it today, and that is this is that if shame is the number one stressor for us, it's the one that we're least capable of talking about to one another. And why is that? We talked about it openly today in the group. As it turned out today, uh, we, uh, there's a women's group that meets simultaneously with my group each week at Beginnings. And that group was small enough today that we decided to combine forces. So we had both the women from the other group as well as the facilitator from the other group. We had a combined group today. And so we put this to the entire group. Uh, why is it so difficult for men to uh, be in touch with their own shame? And uh, what we, we, we came up with is some version of we're taught from day one uh, that vulnerability is prohibited and shame is the most vulnerable emotion. What are the alternatives to being, uh, for me to bring my shame to you as a male? One is I've already talked about, and this is uh, elucidated in Robert's book, uh, one is for me just to aggress, my, is to attack. <clears throat> the fight or flight reaction, I'll fight. Uh, rather than being ashamed, I'll get angry and I'll aggress. Another response, was, which is just kind of the flip side of the coin, is that rather than, than moving towards you, I'll move away from you. And so another response to shame is to distance. And I think of distancing here as distancing not just interpersonally, where I distance from you as a male, but also that I distance internally, a distance from myself. And so it's really, really a, a challenging task for men to even become aware of their shame, much less to begin to explore it with another person. Before we go any further, let's talk about some definitions, and then we'll unpack this as it relates to men and shame. What is shame? What is shame? Well, we've discussed this in a number of previous podcasts, and let me summarize real quickly. This will be familiar to you if you've viewed some of the previous podcasts, and I encourage you to go back and look at the index of our previous topics, because 
any number of them have dealt with shame. And I'll tell you this is why I've picked shame as such an important topic is not only because I know it personally and I know it clinically in my work because the research really does bear out that that unless men and women deal with shame, men having specific problems with shame that in some ways are different than many women, that, uh, that their recovery uh, will be hamstrung. It's very difficult to protect your sobriety from addiction when you're constantly being triggered by something that you can't possibly acknowledge to another person or perhaps even acknowledge to yourself, and that's shame. And so if shame is the single greatest stressor and stress is the single greatest trigger for relapse, it's, uh, it's absolutely essential that we get to the bottom of shame and find a way to heal it. In terms of definitions of shame, we've summarized it in different ways, but psychology will talk about shame as representing two sides of a coin again. And the first side is a threat to social acceptance. That is where I'm, th I'm threatened to be kicked out of the group, uh, that, that you will reject me. And we've talked about this in our groups at beginnings is that evolutionarily speaking, the threat, uh, the, the reason this is such a threat, why this would stir such anxiety is that historically we're not so evolved beyond needing each other literally to survive. Is that is that if I'm kicked out of the group, I am uh, food for some uh, carnivore on the plane, and that's not a good. Th that's not a, not a good thing. My security is founded on my being connected, by being attached to others, and so a threat to social acceptance goes right into a core survival need for all of us as human beings. The flip side of that is shame is also a threat to. Uh, the experience of a threat to self-esteem. And if you think about this, is that if I'm kicked out of the group, how can I possibly feel competent? And then there's a reverse way that goes, which is that if I don't feel good about myself, I risk being kicked out of the group. And so it's a, 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 a difficult catch-22 to be in. So shame is a complicated emotion, but simply understood. It's, it's the emotion that is connected with a threat to social acceptance on the one hand and a threat to self-esteem on the other. I remember just this morning my training in psychology. Uh, early on, I was exposed to um, one of the, th the theorists who happens to have written two of the seminal books in psychology. It's quite something to write one book that makes such a difference. And uh, Irvin Yalom is this man's name from Stanford who wrote the Bible in psychology, still stands as the, the central kind of uh, uh, source text for group therapy, is by Irvin Yalom. When at my first year in graduate school, he came out with another volume, which itself is also a Bible in psychology, and that was a book on existential psychotherapy. Irvin Yalom uh, uh, wrote that book. That's now almost 40 years ago, but it still is uh, kind of one of the root sources uh, in all of existential psychotherapy, which in a nutshell, group therapy is where you work with more than one person in, in a therapeutic context. Existential psychotherapy focuses on issues of value and meaning and purpose, which are central to psychotherapy uh, with all clients. And he wrote really the, the key book. Um, in both books, uh, Yalom discussed uh, the most common secrets. He looked into the research uh, of, of what we all hold as secrets and discussed the most commonly held secrets uh, 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 here in the United States. And here they are. The top three secrets. The first secret is that I can't possibly let you know how afraid I am of being kicked out of your group. 
Uh, Yalom put this in terms of isolation. I can't let you know how afraid I am of being isolated, being sent, being sent into the wilderness, particularly for men to be vulnerable, to let you know how afraid I am. I can't possibly let you know that. I'll fight you before I let you know that. So that's the first secret. The second secret is I can't possibly let you know that secretly I feel quite incompetent. Whatever my, whatever my incompetencies are, I can't possibly bear those to you. I think in our culture, historically, that's been amplified for men. Can't let you know any insecurities that I might have. That ties right into the other side of shame, which is a threat to self-esteem. I can't let you know any, any uh, vulnerabilities in my self-esteem. I can't let you know any vulnerabilities I feel in regards to my social acceptance. Those are the first two secrets. And the third secret is a, is a specific manifestation of both of those. And it would be a sexual secret is that most all of us have some sexual secret or another that we would rather others not knowing. And why wouldn't we want them to know? We're afraid that they would kick us out of, out of, out of their group, whether it's our family or another social group that really matters to us. So we can't possibly let them know that. And if they knew that, they would judge us and we would feel awful about ourselves. We probably already do feel awful about ourselves in regards to some of these sexual secrets. And so we, we, uh, we don't share those with one another. When I used to teach Yalom's material in teaching group therapy courses, as well as existential therapy courses, I talk about this as well, is that if you think about it, sexuality goes into the most primal uh, places for us evolutionarily. It's a primal directive is that we reproduce to um, pass our genetic line along. This is the way that biologists talk about it. And so anything that cuts that close to the quick uh, in terms of the way our psychologies and even our biologies are organized, you can imagine there's going to be a lot of loading around that in terms of anything that would be judged or rejected, we'd, we'd want to protect against that. I also think about it spiritually, is that I think of sexuality as being uh, uh, such a sacred uh, component of, of the way that we're built psychologically and spiritually. And it makes sense to me also then that we would want to be careful about who we shared our sexual secrets with. So those are the top three secrets, and you get that one bonus today. Okay. Uh, as you can see, all three of them are linked right into shame. Shames and secrets go right together. I want to make a distinction here as we move forward, and that is, and it was made today uh, by one of the new members of the group, a distinction between guilt and shame. You may be well familiar with this. If you viewed prior um, podcasts here, you'll know that we'll discuss this. It's a very important distinction between guilt and shame. And most easily understood, guilt is this. In fact, this is exactly what the gentleman who volunteered this, his comments today, this is exactly what he shared. Guilt leaves me with the feeling that I've done something bad and I feel bad about that. I feel bad for having done something bad. Shame takes it to the next level and it, it turns what I've, my having done something bad now into I am someone bad or something bad. I am something bad. It turns it from something that I've done to something that I am. I want to pause for a second. As we go through the next few slides, I want to ask you to write down a recent example, if you can think about this, uh, where you've done something that you, that you feel badly about and you felt it move from guilt, which is I did something bad and I should feel bad about it. I call that rightful guilt. And, and felt it cross over into shame. I believe the way that I'm defining shame, I believe that all shame is toxic. 
is it's not useful, and, and I'll tell you in a second why I think that's the case. If you, I want you to locate, if you can, an example of something that you've said, something maybe that you've done, maybe something that you failed to do that you feel badly about, and you can feel it tugging on those tethers of shame. I mentioned that shame is toxic, and how I, how I see uh, shame as being toxic is that it paralyzes us. Guilt will motivate me. For example, guilt will, will uh, motivate me to make amends. I'll talk about this more in a moment. Shame will simply paralyze me. I won't want to take responsibility because shame is such a crushing uh, emotion. Guilt, uh, 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 rightly accepted and dealt with, can actually restore balance and restore the relationship. Um, uh, uh, so it's, it's key that I, that I have some relationship to the example I give in group is I walked over to a gentleman in group today and I said, if I step on your foot and that's an accident, I should feel bad about that because that's not okay to step on your foot. But the, the bad that I feel is I feel bad about stepping on your foot. I apologize for that. I make amends with you. And I intend not to do that again. None of that would be set in motion if I don't have any openness to feeling bad about having stepping, stepping on your foot. But when that crosses over into feeling bad about me as a person, how could I possibly ever step on your foot and, and uh, get locked in that kind of vortex? It'll actually shut me down from forward motion. As I say, it just paralyzes me. And I'll actually want to uh, 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 push aside responsibility because it's unbearable. So to continue then with this distinction for the next few slides, and as you reflect on this experience, I'd like you to reflect uh, 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 or apply what is I share next. Guilt is focused on the action that I've done. Think about this with whatever it is that you did or didn't do and how that guilt pertains. Shame, on the other hand, is focused on the doer, not the do, not, swap, not what's been done, not the action, but on the doer. And see if you can apply this example where, where guilt would, would uh, focus on the action. I stepped on somebody's foot, whatever you've done. Uh, shame focuses on the doer. It's on me. How could, I, how could you do that, Bob? Continuing forward, guilt triggers our conscience. And I think that's very useful. It's our thermometer for, for uh, uh, measuring uh, uh, appropriate behavior in relationships. It's the basis of our mor moral judgment. Shame, on the other hand, triggers our inner critic, which only assails us, assaults us with negative judgments. And it makes it very hard to get to my, my conscience or my moral uh, standard if I'm, if I'm being beaten down by the inner critic. Apply this, if you can, for a moment to the example that, you, that you're working with. I work a lot with men who have experienced multiple attempts to get sober and have experienced a lot of challenges in that, including multiple relapses. And we talk about it, including in today's group, is that when someone who's in recovery relapses, this distinction between guilt and shame is a critical distinction. If I feel guilty about it, that is, that I put my finger on a hot stove and it burnt, I should feel bad about that. It should hurt. That gives me feedback that I need to get back on track. But if I move from that to making myself bad or faulty or hopeless for having uh, relapsed, uh, then we're stuck. Then we're stuck and there's no getting back on track. So the relapse, while it's not desirable, is effective feedback, but it's only effective if it's held in the spirit of guilt. 
As I said earlier, guilt motivates us to make amends. Shame simply stops us in our tracks. We talk about the fight, flight, or freeze reaction in the survival uh, portion of the, of the, uh, the midbrain. And uh, I look at, at shame as a freeze emotion. It actually shuts us down. Oftentimes when I'll ask uh, individuals in the groups I lead with uh, uh, around shame, when they think about what shame feels like in their body, what does shame feel like? And there'll be different examples of like wanting to crawl into a hole, wanting to, to slip into the corner someplace, head down. It's just a sense of freezing, wanting to hide. That's what shame does. Guilt motivates us. Uh, guilt opens our hearts, opens our hearts to ourselves, opens our hearts to one another, leaves open the possibility of repairing a rupture in our relationship. Shame shuts down my heart, leaves me closed to repairing with you. Can you also apply this for just a moment to your situation that you came up with your example? With a closed heart, I talked about how shame closes a heart. With a closed heart, what are we left with? I want to quote Robert Masters here. He says, For all too many men, unexplored shame blocks the way to vulnerability, empathy, relational closeness. Unexplored shame blocks all of that. And why does this matter, particularly in a conversation about addiction and recovery, is that failed relationship, failed what psychology calls attachment, uh, more often than not is a significant trigger for relapse. And uh, we talked about this in today's group. I, I oftentimes will ask in groups, how many of you have experienced relapse or increased um, addictive behaviors in the context of either conflict in a relationship or, for example, the breakup of a relationship. And virtually every time I've asked that question over the last two years, every single person in the room raises their hand. There's uh, a growing literature in psychology that looks at addiction as an attachment disorder looks at addiction in the context of relationship and a disorder a disorder in relationship, a disorder in connection is intimately connected to addiction. In fact, somebody mentioned in today's group a wonderful YouTube video that you can see. It's of a TED Talk. Um, and I can't remember his name right now. I'll have to, I think his last name is, is Hari. Uh, uh, but I, uh, it, I'm getting it mixed up right now. It might be Joe Hari, but I'm not sure. I'm sorry about that. Maybe Franz or Oscar can help me with this right now. There's a YouTube video, TED Talk, and it's on addiction and connection. And I'll, I'll tell you what he shared at the very end. Uh, and maybe one of you can help me uh, come up with a name. Can't draw on it right now. He says at the very end that the opposite of addiction. Johan Hari, thank you. Johan Hari, thank you very much. He's a British journalist. Johan Hari, that's great. Thank you, Austin. H-A-R-I. Uh, I recommend you to this video. It's a very powerful video that looks at the relationship of our interpersonal connections to our staying sober. And he says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. 
And so in that spirit, think about what Robert Masters just said here, that unexplored shame, particularly with men, blocks the way to relational closeness. And when that relational closeness is blocked, we're stuck with what Johann Hari talks about, which is increased vulnerability to a return to addictive behaviors. They're intimately connected. And so it's essential that we, we provide bridges for men to begin to, uh, begin to come out of the closet, so to speak, with their shame. Uh, I work with men who have been addicted. I've been addicted, and I know the shame that attends that. It, it nearly took me out, and so it is with the men that I speak with each week, to have uh, made the poor choices that follow on addiction, including addiction itself, leaves behind a trail of, of hurt uh, relationships and angry uh, individuals who have a right to be angry. And it's hard not for that to translate immediately into shame. And then unfortunately, the shame is what will shut down the recovery process. So I know this intimately, and I share this intimately every week with the clients that I work with. Uh, I had a very poignant reminder of, 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 of how relevant this issue of shame and men uh, uh, are this week. And, and I want to share with you uh, 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 an author of an article that I read. It was an uh, editorial that just came out this week in the Los Angeles Times. The author of this article is Megan Daum. And I'd like to uh, uh, give her credit for writing an incredibly thoughtful um, uh, editorial in the Los Angeles Times. And uh, what I want to do is I want to direct you to that article. I just want to direct you to a, a, a blog post that I wrote in response to that article. And I include a link to that article. The essence of the article is it's looking at what's happening right now in a very polarized atmosphere where men are being called, uh, called out for the abuses uh, over all the generations of humankind, but really in, in recent times, it's it's time that that there be more consciousness. It's time that there be that there be a healing. That there be a time that there be a calling to accountability. And in her article, uh, Ms. Daum draws attention to in this era of of um, politics, particularly she talks about politics, the polarization that's occurred around our current president Trump, as well as the uh, incredible momentum behind the the hashtag Me Too movement that uh, it's easy to get into polarizations, us against them. And I thought it was really telling that she wrote a very thoughtful piece that looks at a, looks at a more nuanced response then to all the wrongs, all the crimes, all the violations that have been committed. Because at the end of the day, we're left with how are we going to heal this, what's happened in the past? How do we help provide healing and support for women that have been abused for example, and how do we provide the foundations for a new generation of men who will not perpetuate the abuse? And it's going to require a tremendous amount of healing, and it will be furthered by dialogue. And this article that you'll find, uh, you'll find this on my website, the, 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 uh, the, the, title of the, uh, the title of my response, Trump and slash tag, tag Me Too, and uh, creating dialogue in a polarized atmosphere. And it's the first steps towards that. And I really guide you to the article. The article is really one of these really uh, important groundwork, I feel like, for a dialogue. 
I want to pick up on the implications of this in our next podcast. We won't go any further with that today, other than to suggest that this topic of shame is is up in the news now. It's in the work that I do, particularly with men in recovery, and it's essential that we find a way to address it. I see that there's a question that's come in. Let me uh, take a look at this question real quickly, okay? This is from Brian and Masayo, and they say, guilt versus shame, great topic. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Masayo. Okay, and I believe this is Brian talking. He says, his wife tries to make him feel guilty when he's relapsed. Ah, this is good, Brian, what you're talking about. And I receive her words, he says, in a shameful manner. Ah, and thank you. You say that this will help improve your communication. I guarantee you, Brian, that you're not alone in this, nor are you, Messiah. It's so difficult, and I'll speak to this personally as well as clinically from the work that I do, is that particularly around relapse, there needs to be accountability in terms of moving forward, in terms of sobriety. And it's such a fine razor's edge because that accountability is going to require rightful guilt for, for slipping back into addictive behaviors. But if that crosses over that line, and that line sometimes is a very fine line, and you know it, Brian, it can cross into shame, and the shame just shuts down the whole process. And so I'm glad that these definitions will, will, will help with that. I'll tell you what I plan to do next week, Brian and Masayo, and all of you who are viewing. I want to flesh this out with more detail, and I'll be referring specifically to this excellent book by uh, Robert Masters that I've been discussing, To Be a Man, where he's talking about men's need for vulnerability if we don't open ourselves to looking at vulnerable feelings, shame is paramount. He says it's the top one that needs to be addressed. Then it shuts down in terms of our relationships. We end up with this block in our relationships. And history is coming back to, to call us to the carpet right now, is the break in relationships between men and women is oftentimes around this very point. How do we discuss wrongdoing? How do we heal things? How do we set limits? How do we hold those that have violated boundaries? How do we hold them accountable? But then from this point, how do we move forward in terms of healing the roots of this, whether we're talking about addiction or we're talking about behaviors, including sexual violation, sexual harassment that have been perpetuated for the generations that have never been addressed consciously or been addressed at a deep enough level where that there can be a growing confidence that this won't be just a, a continuing process, a continuing pattern. So thank you, Brian and Masayo, for your feedback. I really, I'll guarantee you that we'll be fleshing this out in more detail in our podcast. I keep saying next week. We won't be meeting next week. I'm sorry, I'll be out of town next week. We'll be picking up in two weeks. That's uh, uh, our next date will be January 24th. We'll be meeting uh, two weeks from today. Before we do that, let me touch on New Year's resolutions. And I want to touch on them in the context of our conversation today. We talked two weeks ago when we last met about making New Year's resolutions uh, that are full-bodied. And we talked about New Year's resolutions in a holistic way. What would it be like to make New Year's resolutions that address not just some single behavior, but address me as a whole organism, as a holistic person? And we talked about five different components of making New Year's resolutions. And what I'd like to do is apply what we talked about two weeks ago, just very briefly today, and it's meant to be stimulus for you as you make and follow through on your own re resolutions towards more holistic health this year. I want to talk about them in terms of body, mind, soul, spirit, and shadow. We've discussed shadow today, and I'll come to that in just a moment. In terms of a, a resolution that really matters, 
What would it be like for me to resolve to take care of myself, male or female, to take care of myself physically in terms of if I've got addictions to root those out? Uh, what would it be to commit to healthful nutrition, healthful exercise, uh, enough sleep, sufficient sleep? We live in an overworked society. Um, what would it be like to commit to sobriety in all of these ways as, as, as a New Year's resolution and a gift to my body? What would it be like to resolve to take care of my mind by reading stimulating material, by growing? I give you every week resources here that you can access online, videos, uh, YouTube videos, including what we do here, books to read, exercises to do. What would it be like to cultivate and sharpen my mind in the service of health? What would it be like to uh, cultivate or deepen my relationship to my soul? And I, we've talked about this here, and I mean specifically by this. What can I do to, to uh, develop my creativity in terms of expanding myself, deepening myself, in terms of uh, behaviors that, that move me beyond just what I'm familiar with? Uh, Carl Jung looked at creativity as a central drive right along eating and sleeping um, and breathing. And so what would it be like to honor the creative impulse? And, and that doesn't require that you be an artist. If you are, then make sure that you give ample time to that. But what would it be like to, uh, to do something different than you typically do? Uh, if you're a cook, to cook something new. If you're a gardener, to give a special attention to that. Uh, uh, what would it be like to dedicate myself to, to cultivating my soul uh, via creative uh, activities regularly? In terms of spirit, we've talked about mindfulness and about prayer. Uh, many of us are involved in religious traditions. If you are, then to uh, rededicate yourself to that. I really, I, I don't think that that developing spirituality requires um, uh, only uh, 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 being involved in a conventional spiritual or a religious context. I just spoke to a priest in uh, the Caribbean yesterday that I'm going to be doing some work with 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 him in his seminary. And, and uh, what we discussed there is that it's very possible to, to have lots of spiritual knowledge or theological expertise and not be regularly practicing one's spirituality in terms of, of uh, personal prayer and meditation, in terms of, of um, uh, uh, reaching out to others uh, altruistically in terms of expressing gratitudes, that this is essential to, to health, is cultivating our spirit. And finally, we've been discussing shadow. We've been discussing shame today as, an, as a kind of a crucial element of our shadow. Talking about it with men, it's, this, it, it's not that much different for women. Maybe on a continuum, men are a little bit uh, 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 in need of further work than women, but that... Uh, uh, what can I do this day, this week, this year? What can I do as daily practice to cultivate a relationship to my shadow, to withdraw my projection onto others of the things I'm ashamed of and begin to own those and heal those? We'll be talking more into the specifics of this uh, in coming weeks, including in two weeks. I hope that you'll come back. Uh, we'll be looking at Shame, Men, and Recovery Part 2, two weeks on January 24th. And uh, I invite you to come back and join me in that conversation. Let me know, please. Uh, let Austin and, and Franz know. You can reach out to us. Let us know any further questions that come up for you in the work that you do. I encourage for you to access some of the resources that I've mentioned today. I encourage for you to continue to journal about your own relationship to shame and, 
and, and how it is that we might move as a group here together, uh, move from shame that paralyzes to guilt that motivates and actually opens the door to our hearts to make amends to one another and to healing. And we'll be furthering this in the weeks to come. Thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome to uh, uh, explore my website as well as uh, our websites here. Uh, my website, again, is listed here. It's www.drbobweathers.com. And it's just a, it's, it's a, uh, a, a website that's dedicated to resource. There's videos. There's posts. Uh, there's all of our videos there. There's all of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast posts there. And I encourage you to go there if you want further encouragement, further information. It's kind of a clearinghouse for information. Do come back and join us at Ask Addiction Specialist in two weeks. Thanks for joining us today. It's wonderful to have you. Blessings to you until I see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye for now.